Ephesians 4. We're going to talk tonight about an equipped body. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.11, read it with me. It says, um, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Father we thank you for your word God we just pray tonight Lord that you would cause your word to have entrance into our hearts to illuminate our minds open our eyes and our ears. Lord, we know that only by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, Lord, can we receive and know your truth. And God, we ask you tonight, Lord, to make your truth known to us, to transform us tonight as our minds are renewed, Lord, by the washing of the water of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so it says that God gave, Christ gave, actually, it says, but he, in verse 7, go up to verse 7, but each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And so, when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. Now, we looked last week at nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this week, we're going to look, not really, we're not going to talk about these gifts. It's five, what, what some people call the fivefold ministry gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And we're really not talking specifically about the gifts tonight. But, but more of the fact that God gave these gifts through Jesus Christ. And that these gifts have a very important purpose. And we're going to talk more about the purpose of the gift than, than the gift itself. And so the church, it says here, was given these gifts by Christ. And what was the reason? for the equipping of the saints. And so the church is called to be equipped. Amen? And so there's two reasons here that the church is called to be equipped. We're called to be equipped for work, and we're called to be equipped for edification. Now there's a couple of ways you could read this passage. You could say, well, God gave these gifts. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for two reasons. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Really, there is no difference there. Um, we are called, there's a reason why the first reason listed is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That is the first and foremost reason. And the second for the edifying of the body of Christ goes with it. They're not two separate issues. They're, they're one in the same issue. You cannot have one without the other. There cannot be the work of ministry and not the building up of the body of Christ. There cannot be the building up of the body of Christ and not be the work of ministry. They, they cannot be. They are not mutually, mutually exclusive. They... They are inclusive of one another. They go together. And so two reasons God gave for, for the equipping of the church, for work and for edification. So how is the church equipped? Well, it says he gave these gifts. 
There, it's equipped through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So those are the guys doing the equipping. But who is being equipped? Well, it says, for the equipping of the saints. And who are the saints? All believers. Contrary to some traditions, this isn't special people with special, you know, um, it, it's not the, yeah, it's not, and, and you guys understand that. So we use this word, this is why the scripture uses the word saints the way it does. When it uses the word saints, it refers to all believers. There is an assumption. Obviously, when Paul wrote these letters, for instance, this letter to the Ephesians, he's writing to the saints, but it would be, it would be unreasonable for us to think that there were not unbelievers in the churches that he was writing to. It would be unreasonable to think that, that the only people that ever read these letters were believers. But he addresses them to who? He addresses it to the saints. He addresses the letters to everyone, believer and unbeliever, because for the believer, he's talking to them. For the unbeliever, he's telling them, he's, he's communicating to them as though they are believers because they have to come to faith. They've got to come to believe. And when they come to believe... This is what they've got to understand. And so this is the preaching of the gospel. And so those being equipped are all believers. They're all believers. Paul started out, he is an apostle, but he started out a guy riding a horse to go kill Christians, and he gets knocked off of his horse, has an encounter with Jesus, and he comes to faith in Christ. And at that moment, he becomes a believer. And he had to go through a process of what? Of being equipped for the work of ministry. His work of ministry involved him becoming and walking in the office of apostle. But he had to be equipped like everybody else. He just became an equipper of others. But all believers are called to be equipped and all believers are called to the work of ministry. The work of ministry doesn't mean that it's only exclusive to those who stand behind a pulpit and preach or only those who lead a Sunday school class or only those who, who work in an, uh, some formal ministry or something. Every believer is called to the work of ministry. So that, that brings us to this, what is the work of ministry? Well, the work of ministry is people believing in Christ. How do we know that? Go to John 6.29. Jesus defines what the work of God is. And so I think it would be fair for us to say that the work of ministry has to be the work of God, right? If we're doing our own ministry, if we're doing our own thing, then we're, we're not doing the work of God. We're not doing God's ministry. The work of ministry is the work of God. I'm sorry I don't have uh, notes for you guys. I'll actually have copies of them in the morning. They'll be on the website, but uh, I just didn't get them done. Well, I did. I just didn't make copies. John 6, 29. Look at this. Jesus answered and said, well, here's a question. They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. Now, I want you to see the difference there. What's happening is Jesus just gets through walking on water, and, and he walks the other side, and, and it's just right after he has fed the 5,000. He feeds the 5,000 on one side of the lake. He walks across 
the lake that night, comes to the other side of the lake. The people he fed the day before have been looking for him because they want more loaves and fishes. They finally find him, and, and you know, they, they ask this question, what, what can we do, what must we do to work the works of God? And so they were asking one question, and Jesus is answering them, clarifying, really, he's telling them, you're asking the wrong question. And so in asking the wrong question, how many know if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer? It's very important that we ask the right questions, because if we ask the wrong questions, we'll get the wrong answer. And if we don't understand the question we're asking, we may be asking one question, not realizing we're asking the wrong question, but we're going to get the answer that's not going to be correct because we didn't ask the right question. Jesus is discerning here. He knows they're asking the wrong question, but he's ignoring their question, and he's giving them the right answer. He's, he's telling them, really, he said, you guys don't understand what you're asking me, but I'm going to give you the right answer. I'm not going to answer your question the way you want me to answer it. I'm going to answer your question with the right answer, assuming that you asked the wrong question. So he says, it's not what shall we do to work the works of God. In other words, what they were saying, how can we do those miracles, Jesus? How can we go make loaves and fishes multiply? I mean, can you imagine if, if they were able to do something like that? I mean, uh, what that would mean to them? Man, talk about, that would be like your first fast food restaurant, right? That'd be your first drive through We'd just multiply them and come fill your basket up and as quick as you can come by, you know, and there would be a real industry available there. And so Jesus said, no, you guys are asking the wrong question. He said, this is the work, not the works. This is the work of God. So what does that tell us? They said, we want to do works, Jesus. And he says, no, there is only one work. There's not works. There's one work. Everything, everything will come from the one work. And he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Now, obviously, he's talking about himself because God sent him. So he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So let's go back to Ephesians. So Jesus ascends and he gives gifts to men. And these are the gifts that he gave. Some prophets, some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. The work of ministry involves the work of God. It is the work of God, and the work of God and the work of ministry is people believing in Christ. That is the work of ministry. That is the work of ministry every believer is called to. From apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to, to the person who is faithful to come and and, 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 and attend and worship every week, who has no aspiration to, 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 to be anything more than just, you know, a faithful child of God. But they are called to the work of ministry. Every one of us are called to the work of ministry. And it is the job of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip all the saints for the work of ministry. So what is the work of ministry? It is the work of God. It is people believing in Christ, believing to salvation. Who does the work of ministry? All 
believers are called to the work of ministry. That means every believer should effect faith in somebody. And now that doesn't mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to all invade Taylor and knock on doors. God may lead us to do that. But leading people to Christ, affecting faith in Christ, has got to be much more than our than our organized door knocking. Or There's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there is. But I'm saying sometimes we fall into this mentality that if I'm not out knocking on doors because the, the pastor says Saturday morning we're going to go knock on doors or we're going to start this campaign and we're going to all hand out these tracts and these flyers and we're going to do that, then we feel like we're, we're doing the work of ministry. Well, what, if, what, what, if, what about when nobody is saying... There is no organized effort here. What about when you wake up on Monday morning and you go to work? Are you doing the work of ministry? Is your life affecting faith? Is your life causing others to consider faith in Christ? Either by your words, by your actions, by, by how you live your life. See, that's got to become the fundamental and that is the most important part of us affecting faith in the lives of others. And so this is the work of ministry, and this is the work that every believer is called to, to see men come to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. So who benefits from the work of ministry? Everyone does. It's not The work of ministry is not just for the unbeliever. Actually, the work of ministry is for the believer. It's for the believer. Are we trying to reach unbelievers? Absolutely. But the work of ministry is not for unbelievers. It's for believers. So what happens when we do the work of ministry? Well, there's some really powerful things happen. And so all who now believe are being built up. Remember, God gave those gifts through Jesus Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So as we, as we do the work of ministry in our everyday life, every day, our life is the work of ministry. Do you realize that? Your life in Christ is the work of ministry. You are here. Everything you do, who you are, is all about men coming to faith in Christ. It, it, it is. And so when, when, when those who believe understand that, and they're involved in, they live in with this this understanding they are being built up the body of Christ is being built up that's why I say you can't separate the work of ministry from the building up of the body of Christ so all who will come to believe and and when they come to faith then they are made a part of the body they will benefit from the work of ministry believer and unbeliever so the work of ministry benefits the body of Christ those who are in the body now those who will be in the body at some point in the future. Does God know who's going to be in the body at some point in the future? You better believe he does. Do you know who's going to be in the body at some point in the future? No, we don't. God knows. So what has God commanded us to do? He's commanded us to preach the gospel. He's commanded us to live the gospel. He's commanded us to, to live in such a way that our lives affect faith in others. So that is the work of, of ministry. It is, it is about people believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what about the building up of the body of Christ? Well, that, that word in the scripture, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We don't use this word edify very much. If you've got a, uh, I've got a New King James. If you've got an NIV or something, it probably says building up because that's exactly what that word means. To edify the body is to build up the body. And so there is, there is an understanding this, this, is, this is what we see in nature. This is, you know, when puppies are born, they're little. But what happens? All except Charlie and Jolene's dogs. I mean, they're, they're like perpetually puppies. But now my dogs, they're so cute when they're little, but then they get big. And they're still cute, but it changes, you know what I mean? And so... Well, what is this? There is a natural process that, that things that are born, things that are birthed, grow. Their bodies are built. They're not in the gym pumping iron or anything like that, but you can do that, right? But, but there is a building up of the body. This speaks of something coming. If you read this scripture in Ephesians, let's just, let's just look at this. Look at the progression here that Paul gives us. Look at how long are we going to, how long are these gifts going to exist? How long are we going to be equipped for the work of ministry? How long is the body of Christ going to be built up? Well, verse 13 says, until, till, that speaks of a time frame. It tells us when, until we all come to the unity of the faith. Are we there yet? No. Till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Are we there yet? No, till we all come to a perfect or complete man. Are we there yet? No. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, Christ is there. In, 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 in a sense, we are there. Because if Christ is in us and we're in Christ, that's, our, that's the reality we have. But do we see that expressed or manifest in the body around us? No, we don't. And so this is why Paul says, this is why Jesus gave these gifts. For this to take place, this process to take place, just like a puppy is born and it gets bigger, 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 it comes to maturity. A baby is born, it grows and grows and it comes to maturity. The body of Christ was birthed and it will come to maturity one day. It, it, it is there, it's going to happen. Why? Because Christ is our life. Nothing's going to stop it. Why? Because nothing can stop Christ. How do we know that? Because Hell couldn't stop him. The grave couldn't stop him. Death couldn't stop him. He, he's overcome everything. So we know that it's going to happen. So we're just awaiting along with creation. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. Creation waits the revealing of the sons of God, the manifestation of the sons of God. It's waiting. Why? Because when they're manifest in fullness, when they're manifest in that way, then, then all will be redeemed. God will deliver the creation from the very curse that it's under right now. And so there is this process. So till we all come to the fullness that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We shouldn't be children, but we should be speaking the truth in love, growing up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body... From the head, the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. That's what you are. You're, you're a, a part of the body. You're a joint supplying what the other needs. You are a part of the body 
causing it to effectively work by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or the building up of itself in love. So there is this expectation and this promise that the body is being built up, it will be built up, it will come to this place of maturity. And so this is what it, this is what it means. This is why Christ gave these gifts for the building up of the body. So whose body are we building up? The body of Christ. It's not our body. I don't have a body anymore. Well, I do, right? But, but in reality, I am part of the body of Christ. There is a reason why this body will not leave this earth as it is. There is a reason why every man must die or be changed in the twinkling of an eye. The reason that is, is because this mud man, this jar of clay, is a reminder of the curse. It's a reminder of the old nature. It's, it's still under that. But what is inside of it is of the new creation. It is a new species of being. I have a new life on the inside of me. And so, but this body, this body's not going to go anywhere. And, and why? I believe God made that so, so that we should always be reminded that this is not our body. Christ is. We are part of the body of Christ. He is our body. He is our life. He is our place of habitation. He is the place we function, we live in, we dwell in, we, we, we share life in. It's in His body. This body is just temporary. And God says, this thing, don't get too in love with it. Don't become too attached to it because it ain't going anywhere. It's going to die. It is dying and will ultimately die because this was never meant to be the body you got life from. God says, you will draw life from the body of my son. My son is the source of life. And you have become a part of his body. And so we're not building up our body. We're not building up our name. We're not building up our ministry. We don't have a ministry. It's the ministry of God. It's the work of God. So we're building up the body of Christ. So how are we building up his body? Well, we just read through this scripture. And let's just look at some specific things. How are we building up the body? We build up his body as we do the work of ministry. Every believer being equipped for the work of ministry, when we, when we do the work of ministry, when we live, and that, that just becomes a function of who we are, we are building up the body. We build up the body as we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. As you individually grow in unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God, you cause a corporate growth and a corporate unity and a corporate knowledge of the Son of God to take place. And when that happens, the body is being built up. We build up the body as we conform to the maturity of Christ. As we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2. We cause the body to be built up because we come into the fullness, into a perfect man, a complete man, the full stature and measure of Christ himself. As that happens to me individually, as my mind is renewed, it causes the body to be corporately built up. 
The body is built up as we speak the truth in love. If we don't speak the truth in love, then we're speaking a lie. Now, you can speak the truth in anger and in hate, and it can, and it can be very detrimental. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You can have all gifts, you can have all knowledge, you can have all the whole Bible memorized, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. So he says here, speaking the truth in love. When we speak the truth in love, we are building up the body. We build up the body as we grow up in all things into him. There was a time when we spoke as children, we thought as children, but Paul said there is an expectation, just as there is with all children, that children grow up. There is an expectation that believers will grow up into Christ in all things. And as we grow up in all things into Christ, we are building the body. We build the body as every part does its share, causing the growth of the body. Now, this is kind of a tricky one because I promise you that, that pick any part of your body you want. Your, your body parts, your fingers, your your. your Organs, they're not consciously thinking about what, what it is they're supposed to. They just function because that's the way God created them. We need to come to a place as the body of Christ where we understand that, that if we're in the body, man, we're functioning. And my function is not determined by how hard I try to function. I mean, I need to understand this truth. And this, this really, you know, sometimes we... We, we make Scripture much more complicated than it should be. We try to read way more into it than we should. You know, Scripture is just simply presenting truth. And we need to accept the truth, live in the truth, let the truth change us, transform us, conform us to Christ, and, 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 and live in it, function in it. And so the truth is we are all parts of the body. We all have a function. And we just need to function. How do you do that? Man, first of all, you know, we need to love God. This is what Jesus said. That's why he said the greatest commandment is to love God. That's why he said the greatest commandment is to love one another the way I have loved you. When we begin to love one another in that way, you can't help but find your function. You can't help but function exactly as and where and, and, and as God designed you to. It's not a conscious thing. It's like my hand's not consciously trying to be a hand. You know, it just is, because that's the way God made it. When I understand I am who God made me, people come to me sometimes and they say, I just, I hate the way God made me. I don't know why God made me this way. I said, you know, God made you that way because he wanted to. And so instead of despising the way you are, you need to, to accept who you are and, and, and recognize God put those desires in you. God gave you that gift. You know, you think it's not a gift, but it really is a gift. And so... And we just need to, to, to let God take our lives and do what he wants. I need to learn. This is why, you know, a couple of weeks ago I asked these questions. Do we make time to, to listen? Do we make time to just listen to what God has to say? Instead of me trying to tell God everything that I want him to know, do we take time to listen to what God is saying? You know, if we listen, God will direct us. This is how we walk in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit. We're, if we're in Christ, the Scripture is very clear, Romans 8, 9. If you belong to Christ, you are in the Spirit, period. I'm not trying to get in the Spirit. If I'm born again, I'm in the Spirit. That's what the Bible says. But Paul says this in Galatians, as you have received Him, so walk in Him. So he's like, guys, you are in the Spirit. You're living in the Spirit. So 
understand that, know that, so now walk in the Spirit. In other words, and this is where this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit is not some experience I have one time and then I'm filled. That phrase there in, in Ephesians 5.18 is a phrase that means a continuous action. But, but what it means is to live under the control of the Spirit. The Spirit is in me. It's either in me or it's not in me. If I'm saved, the Spirit is in me. And if it is in me, the Scripture says, Christ dwells in us by the Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, who is Christ? Well, Colossians 1.19 says he is the fullness of God. So who is Christ? He is the fullness of God. Where does Christ dwell? He dwells in me. What does that mean? That means the fullness of God dwells in me, okay? That's not hard to understand. So if the fullness of God dwells in me, what should control my life? The fullness of God should. So I shouldn't be filled with anger. I shouldn't be filled with lust. I mean, if, if you say, man, that, that, that dude is filled with anger. Do we, do we mean that literally somebody poured anger in him? No. We, what we're saying is that person, their life is controlled by anger. Their actions are controlled by anger. Their words are controlled by anger. That person's filled with lust. Lust drives their life. That person is filled with greed. There's a reason why Paul says, don't be drunk. Because if we're drunk, what happens? Alcohol is controlling our life. He says, don't be controlled by alcohol. He uses alcohol as an example. Because when you're drunk, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been drunk. Not, I hate to admit that I have been. And, and I can remember times when I couldn't even remember what I did. I mean, there are times I could, I could not even remember how I got home. I got home, obviously, because I'm not in jail and I'm still alive. But I'm sitting there the next morning trying to remember how I got home. I know I drove my car. I don't know how I drove my car. But I did somehow. Now, when you can't remember how you got home and what you did, you're not in control of yourself. And, and you soon realize it was simply the grace of God that got you home. Because God says, in spite of your stupidity, it's not time for you to go anywhere yet. So I'm going to make sure you get home safely. But... But he says, don't be drunk with wine. Why? Because that will control your life. Don't let those things, don't let anything control your life. Don't be filled with anything except what? Except the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Live under the control and the influence of the Spirit. How often? I got, I got filled with the Spirit in July 19th, 1984. So what? What? I need to understand that I need to walk in the Spirit's control every day, every moment of every day for all eternity. When I don't have this flesh to deal with, it's going to be way different. But now I still have this flesh and I still have this mind that, that still remembers too well what the old life, what the old man, what the old creation was all about. So what is the command of Scripture? Be filled with the Spirit. Don't let... The old fill your life. Let the new fill your life. 
Don't let the old control your life. Let the new control your life. So Paul says, as you have received him, you have received the fullness of God. You have received Christ who is the fullness of God. And if you have received Christ, so walk in him. So walk how? So walk in his fullness. So walk filled with him. So walk under his control. Be surrendered and submitted to him. Amen? And when we do that, there will be the building up of the body taking place because I will love others the way Jesus loved. I will be able, how will I do that? Will I do that? No, Christ in me will do that. The Spirit in me will do that. So I give place to that, but it's worked out. It's manifest how? Through my words, through my actions, through my living, through my walking, through my talking. So why do we build up the body of Christ? Why are we commanded to build up the body of Christ? It's very simple. There's one reason and one reason only, and that is for his glory. And there is no other reason needed. It's, it's really not about us. It's not about how happy I'm going to be. It's not about how rich I'm going to be. But I should understand that the joy and the happiness I have in Christ is, is immeasurable. I should understand that what I have in Christ, the riches I have in Christ, cannot be purchased in this world. They do not compare to anything I could possibly possess in this life. I am rich beyond imagination. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. When am I going to be in his presence? One day when I die and go to heaven? No! Right now you live in his presence. You abide in his presence then why do we not have the fullness of joy, Pastor Jeff? Because you don't see and you don't know the reality of where you live and where you abide. Because you are allowing your incorrect perception to define your reality instead of allowing the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of this word and the truth of the Spirit in you to define it. You've been deceived. And this is why our minds need to be renewed. So why do we build up the body for his glory? There is no selfish reason. It is all and only for his glory. Period. You say, but, but what about... No, just stop right there. It's for his glory. That's it. He and his glory is all that matters. And if we will seek his glory, if we will seek that, then everything else will be taken care of. This is exactly what Jesus meant in, in John six, I mean in Matthew 6, when he says, Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If I'm seeking the kingdom and his righteousness, then I am seeking his glory. Because he is glorified by the fact that he has saved me by grace. I am a trophy of grace. The fruit that comes out of my life glorifies the Father. And I don't produce the fruit. It's his spirit in me that produces it. So it's for his glory. So there is a key. There is a key to being equipped. Now I'm going to start this tonight. And we're going to continue this next week. And we're going to talk about this key. And I'm going to touch on it right now. Um, go to Matthew chapter 16. So there is a key to being equipped. To do what? There's a key for the work of ministry. There's a key for the building up of the body. As a matter of fact, 
There, there are keys concerning all things of the kingdom. How do we know that? Well, because the scripture talks of them. Right here, Matthew, Matthew 16, verse 18. This is very familiar. This is where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's the promise. The church is victorious. Jesus, looking ahead to the cross, knew that he was going to the cross to establish the church. And he knew his church would be victorious. Why? Because he knew he would be victorious. There is no question of the church's victory because there is no question of the victory of Jesus. If the victory of Jesus is in doubt, then this scripture is in doubt. If, if the victory of Christ is in doubt, then the victory of the church is in doubt. And I want, it, I, I want you to stop and think. In spite of everything you see going on around you, in spite of everything you hear, in spite of all the lies, in spite of all the, 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 the things that fill the airwaves and come and bombard our minds, in spite of all that, is Jesus victorious? Yes, he is. That's all we need to know. That's it. We don't, we don't, nothing else matters. If Jesus is victorious, then we are victorious. Why? Because who is Jesus? He is the head. He is the head over the church. Who is the fullness of him who fills all in all? Ephesians. So if he's victorious, if the head is victorious, the rest of us are going to be victorious. So that our victory is not in question. And so Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So God has given us keys to the kingdom. And there's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of teachings out there about all these. The key to this and the key to that. And Let's just... Let's just cut right to it. There's one key. I'm telling you, there's one key. And one key alone that will get you into the kingdom. His name is Jesus. But Jesus is saying something here. He says to Peter, I give you, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The key is the gospel. The key is the gospel. That's what the key is. The gospel is the key to the kingdom of heaven. Apart from the gospel, there is no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's why the gospel is called good news. And we've got to understand what the gospel is. The gospel is much more than just the words of man telling a story. We can say, well, what is love, Pastor Jeff? Well, what does the Bible say love is? And you might go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and say, well, this is what love is. And we can list all the attributes of love. And I would say, no, 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 no. That's what love looks like. But, but what does the Scripture say love is? Scripture says God is love. Did Jesus demonstrate love? Yes, he did. But more than that, he is love. He is love personified. He is the love of God personified for us. What is the gospel? It's not just a message. The gospel is 
the way to salvation. It speaks of, it speaks of a person. It speaks of the one who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. The gospel is the key that unlocks the way into the kingdom. The gospel is the key to the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. For only the gospel has the power to bring men to faith in Christ. So what is the work? Let's, let's remember, what is the work of ministry? It's the work of God. What's the work of God? This is the work of God, Jesus said, that you would believe on him whom he sent. So what is the work of God? What is the work of ministry? It is about believing on him whom God sent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the work of ministry? It is causing people, affecting people to believe on the name of the only one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And the key to that is the gospel and nothing else. There is no other message. The reason we are commanded to preach the gospel, it is because the gospel is the key to all authority. Go to Matthew chapter 28. We live in a day and age where we can preach countless things and teach countless things. And there is so much need because we look with natural eyes into the lives of people. And we say, man, those people, those people need to learn how to love one another better. Those people need to learn how to manage their finances better. Those people need to learn how to raise their children better. Those, we can go on and on and on. And there are a million books written on each one of those subjects. But I'm going to tell you what, there's only one message, there's only one message that will enable us to truly love the way God commands us to love, and that is the gospel message, because it is only by the gospel that we can be saved. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You know what that is right there? That's the gospel. That's good news. What in the world would we be doing if Jesus could not make that statement right there? Can you imagine? Where would we be if, if we didn't know that Jesus had all authority given to him in heaven and on earth? We'd be in a heap of trouble. That's where we'd be. That reality, that truth right there, that's gospel. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who possesses all authority. That's good news. And so he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. The gospel is the key to all authority. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He might as well say, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ. For the gospel, the good news, who is Jesus Christ, is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says the message of the cross. What is the message of the cross? That is the gospel. The message of the cross is the gospel, and the gospel is the message of the cross. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I have purpose to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. 
Why? Because he said, because that's the only thing that's going to save you guys. That's the only thing that has the power to change you. That's the only thing that has the power to, to do anything in your life is the gospel, is the message of the cross. And so we are commanded to preach the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the key that has the power to loose men. Go back to Matthew 16. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The gospel is the key that has the power to loose men or to bind men for eternity. Do you realize that? The gospel is going to be what determines whether men are loosed or bound for all eternity. Who cares if you get free on this earth, but you're bound for eternity? Just like Jesus said, who cares if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Jesus is not talking about keys here that are earthly and temporal. He's not talking about keys to a better marriage, keys to better finances, keys to a better car, keys to better child rearing. He's talking about the things that are eternal. And he's saying, if you guys get the gospel, if you understand who I am, and you let the reality of who I am transform your life, all that other stuff, it will be added to you. You'll know how to love. You'll know how to be wise. You'll, you'll know all of that. Why? Because if you truly are in me, and you have the comprehension of that as you have received me, so you will walk in me. You'll walk in my wisdom. You'll walk in my power. You'll walk in my ways because I will give you my spirit and my spirit will show you how to walk. He'll show you how to talk. He'll show you how to live your life in a way that causes your life to be transformed and conformed to the very image of who I am. Because it's no longer you who live, but it's I, Christ, who lives in you. That's what he would say. That's what he did say. And so the gospel is the key that has the power to loose men or to bind men. The gospel we preach on earth has the power to loose men on earth. It has the power to loose them in heaven. The gospel is the key that, that gives us entrance into all things in the kingdom. That's it. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the fact that Christ lives in me, and he is my hope of glory. The gospel is the fact that Christ is the fullness of God, and that fullness dwells in me. The gospel is the reality that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, and it will strengthen my mortal body. That is the gospel. The gospel has the power to bind and to loose. It has all authority. It's the only thing that has the authority and the power to save men. It is the power of God. How do we know that? Because that's what the scripture says. The gospel is the power of God. I told, I told the young lady tonight in her quinceanera. I read to her the scripture out of, out of Hebrews 4. The word of God is living and powerful like a two-edged sword. Dividing to bone and marrow, discerning the very thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm going to tell you, we will never walk in the power of God until we walk in His Word. We'll never know the power of God until we know His Word. There is no power apart from His Word. There is no power apart from the Gospel. He is the living Word. He is the living Gospel. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only thing that has the power 
of God to change men and to change anything that he so desires to change. That is why we are commanded to preach and to live the gospel, for it alone is the power of God to salvation. Amen. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Um, And the next week we're going to pick up and we're going to talk some more about this key. Amen. I want the worship team to come and we're going to...